Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Sal Vetri Show. The DFS clip you're about to hear originally aired on my YouTube channel. And before we get into it, you can leave a five-star review. If you can subscribe, download to the podcast, like, and share it, whatever you have to do, I greatly appreciate that. Helps the podcast out a lot. Helps us reach more people. What I would hope is this beneficial content. So welcome and enjoy. Welcome to the Sal Vetri Show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the podcast and the YouTube channel. My name is Sal Vetri, and we have a final thoughts video for the NFL Week 12 slate. We'll be breaking down DraftKings, FanDraft, Fantasy Draft, all that stuff in the DFS streets. Welcome, and before we get into it, if you are new, my name is indeed, like I said, Sal Vetri. This is my YouTube channel and podcast, and I do indeed cover daily fantasy sports in the NFL, NBA, WNBA, and the MLB streets. I appreciate you being here. If you get any value from this video or podcast, if you could hit that subscribe button on YouTube, the five-star rate and review over on the podcast audio version helps me out a ton. You'll be entered into a raffle for three people to win a free entry into Fantasy Drafts contest who are the sponsor of this Friday Final thoughts show. What Fantasy Draft is doing is revolutionizing the way that, you know, you play DFS by not allowing rake, not having the interest, if you want to call it that. And I mentioned on my NBA slate last night, um, instead of losing money on the NBA slate, I actually had a positive night due to the fact that I pay like a 1% fee in terms of a subscription package or having no fee if you pay less than $100 a month instead of playing the 10 to 15% rake and not being, instead of being on the bubble and winning barely in a lot of tournaments um, and cash games, I ended up well, that's what happened, but on DraftKings or FanDuel, I would have ended up losing. So you get those big swings in your night, and yeah, 10% makes a big difference in terms of the long run, staying alive to have those big binks in tournaments and just have fun playing DFS for a longer amount of time. So check out Fantasy Draft linked up down below in the description. That is a tracking link. I will not make money directly off your clicks, but if enough people go over there from those clicks, and they do help me out, so if you want to hit them anyways, go ahead. Um, those clicks do help me out in terms of having sponsors on this channel to be able to do this content for free for all of you. So hit the subscribe button before we get into it. Linked up down below are my social medias. My Instagram account is Salvetri, and I do post stories over there for exclusive free content that I will open up and only Instagram followers will be able to see about it. Some Easter eggs open up NBA projections and NFL piece of content, game by game notes, something like that, usually one or two times per week. So that is my Instagram as well as my, my Twitter at DFS. I drop some informational, I think beneficial nuggets over there as well as content updates on my Twitter platform. So let's get into this video. Again, exclusive content linked up down below on Patreon. If you want more of my content projections more podcast episodes more live streams those are all over on patreon if you are interested have any questions you will be all of them really answered down below in the patreon link so this is a target offense sheet over my shoulder let's get into my interest our final thoughts again we'll have a closing thoughts podcast sunday morning to let you know exactly where i am with everything that i'm doing for this weekend stack updates i mean obviously there'll be some injuries that we have to account for come the weekend um so i mean all these notes are really not too important uh there i have game by game notes those are just early week notes if you're looking on the youtube version so let me blow this up a little bit more quarterback interest there's not a ton that stand out all that much and if you just look at the slate there's not a lot of high totals a lot of games in the 30s low 40s you have a couple of games breaking free and really those are the ones that i have interest in quarterbacks for the most part and the rest of them are just default for really not being that many great quarterbacks on the slate due to a lot of good quarterbacks you have the Packers and 49ers game being flexed to the night game. You have some great quarterbacks on bye. Uh, Monday night football game as well with some of the better quarterbacks that we've been rostering. So yeah, e- even on Thursday night, you have Deshaun Watson over there. So it's really difficult to have a nice slate when you don't have that many great offenses. And in general, this is probably the worst week of the NFL in terms of just having disgusting actual matchups, which leads to usually grosser and lower scoring fantasy outputs. But we shall see. So starting off with Matt Ryan against Tampa Bay. 
It's just a nice spot. Every single matchup for Matt Ryan's receivers are going to be a positive here, whether it's uh, Julio Jones against Carlton Davis, the best cornerback for Tampa Bay this year, who's hovering around the 100 pass rating himself. Um, Julio Jones should be no match, or Carlton Davis should be no match for Julio Jones. You'll have Calvin Ridley on the opposite side. You'll have Russell Gage in the slot in a very beneficial matchup for his own right, where they're rotating through KZ and Sheffield, Kendall Sheffield and DeMonte KZ rotating into the slot. Either way, both have been pretty atrocious. And you're looking at a Matt Ryan offense that has not had to throw the ball all that much the last two weeks because they've They've been leading by two to three scores, the primary parts, and they've been leading the entire games for the last two weeks. So a guy like Russell Gage was only seeing 17 targets. And I say only with an asterisk. I mean, if you're averaging about six targets per week over the last three games, filling in for Mohamed Sanu, just imagine when your team actually has to throw the ball those 40 plus times that Matt Ryan usually does when the game is competitive and or they are trailing. They're four point favorites here, but more times than not, this game should not be a blowout like the last two divisional matchups. But hey, maybe it could be. I don't expect another wonky performance here to, for this team to get up ahead. Their defense has looked good. But once again, their defense, in the, at least in the secondary, even if the pass rush keeps up, is still pretty shaky. Pass rush will always improve your secondary, but still a bad secondary unit with a lot of bad players back there I do think that um, this overall game will be a 51 game total the highest on the slate a nice beneficial spot for fantasy there is chalk on this slate but right now Russell Gage is in the single digit in ownership across the industry I think that's a nice spot at only 3,900 for a guy who should have had a touchdown last week and honestly if he catches that touchdown he's probably like 44 4,500 dollars this week so the fact that he lost it going to the ground on and it was originally called a touchdown obviously it wasn't but it took a review to overturn that all scoring plays reviewed as you always hear in these NFL uh, broadcasts but he would have probably been 4,500 this week so you're getting a built-in discount because of a a, the ball moving one inch and really just moving once it hits the ground so I think that's a lot of value at that price point you probably see seven eight targets out of him if this game stays competitive and they don't have to run the ball as much as they did last week with no um, really efficiency so Matt Ryan stands out for all of his matchups on the opposite side Jameis Winston also does the only concern with Jameis is you have just these two highly expensive Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both in fine matchups Isaiah Oliver for Atlanta has been bad all year but over the last three weeks he's actually improved mightily but still no match for Mike Evans in my opinion Mike Evans has 36 pounds and four inches on him 36 pounds for a guy who has 15 red zone targets this year once again Isaiah Oliver average at best has been good as of late but overall not a great cornerback to scare you away from getting to Mike Evans and so you have a an undersized cornerback against a guy in Mike Evans who sees a ton of red zone targets sees 37.3 percent of the teams or 31.7 percent of the oh no actually it's 34.1 excuse me percent of the team's red zone targets so yeah that, that seems very great for Mike Evans touchdown upside in this one so when he has a great matchup Chris Godwin out of the slots going to have a strong and beneficial matchup after they let Vernon Hargraves go Tampa Bay filling in for Vernon Hargraves is a backup who has not been great this year after that it's do you really trust OJ Howard to be much of a route runner guy who is continuously put in the doghouse after last week's interception or really a fumble behind his back turned into an interception you had 14 targets a career and record setting high for a Tampa Bay tight end from Cameron Bray I don't think that continues Scotty Miller and Brashad Perriman splitting the wide receiver three snaps it's really this just these two guys so I have interest there I think they can both be in winning lineups you look at them and they're two of the top five or ten fantasy wide receivers in the league so there's no reason they both can't go off in the same week they both had nice weeks together just no ceiling weeks together but if they each get you 18 to 25 points I think you'll be okay in terms of being tournament eligible there to win something that's really it though it makes it difficult to go anywhere else in terms of grouping guys together from the same team to get correlations and stats nice matchup of course those are my two main interests you get Matt Ryan on the top end Jameis Winston in sort of this mid-range of the 6200 range I believe is too cheap for him uh, both of them having nice seasons averaging over 22 fantasy points per game each the next tier Russell Wilson at 6800 I want to put him very close to a no this Philly secondary over the last month of the season and really they got six weeks ago uh, Jalen Mills back um, but over the last month of the season 
They've been a top 10 secondary. Oh my God, no, they're not. Yeah, yeah, go look at the numbers. Yes, they are. And they've been 18th overall after an atrocious start. They have Avante Maddox getting healthier. Ronald Darby has gotten healthier. They've had Sidney Jones back playing very limited snaps, but he's healthier. Everybody's healthy. And the big reason why is Jalen Mills has one of the lowest pass ratings against seventh best since coming back, I believe five or six weeks ago against Dallas on that night game. The seventh best cornerback in the league in terms of pass rating. That's very good. So you're going to put him on DK Metcalf where um, Mills plays 91% of his snaps on the left side of the field. Metcalf runs 58% of his over there. That's going to probably shut down more times than not Metcalf, who's somewhat of a one-trick pony this year. Tyler Lockett is banging up. He'll come out of the slot in a very good matchup against Avante Maddox, but he's priced up. You have wide receiver three on the outside going to be facing a guy like uh, Ronald Darby, which is a good matchup, but it's David Moore, and I don't really want to get much of that, or Josh Gordon, whoever you think sees the majority of the snaps. I don't really feel confident in either of those guys. And then Jacob Hollister, who's been good at tight end. Well, now you have Ed Dixon coming back, who's going to cut into that. So Russell Wilson's priced up for only having a, uh, right now on this slate, a 23 implied team total. He's the most expensive quarterback. I get that he has rushing upside. I get that he leads the slate in fantasy points per dropback, but he's a little bit overpriced for a sneaky bad matchup, and that's indicated in the team total here in a slower paced game. Right now, I have this projected to be the second slowest paced game on the slate, only behind the Jets in Oakland. So, I have Russell Wilson as a maybe just because of the lack of talented quarterbacks on the slate, in my opinion, but I'm really probably not going to get there all that much. Just a really tough spot outside of Tyler Lockett, who's priced up. I don't like many of the weapons to pair him with. Drew Brees against Carolina, similar situation here. You have a priced up Michael Thomas, who I, I, in my opinion, if you roster him in tournaments, you're leaving a lot on the table in terms of you can get $1,300 less Julio Jones, who I projected for similar points. You can get two to $3,000 less receivers who uh, have a really good chance of matching him or outscoring him. So, but if you, even if you want to play him, he's going to be going up against James Bradbury, one of the better uh, better cornerbacks, top 10 in the league in terms of pass rating and overall shutdowns. He'll probably shadow him. I don't know if he follows him into the slot. We have really yet to see this from Bradbury this season. He never followed any of the other guys like DJ Shark, who he wasn't shadowing, but played on 50 plus percent of the snaps. He doesn't follow them into the slot. And DJ Shark is a guy who runs about a quarter of his routes out of the slot. So I don't know if he follows him there. So if he doesn't, there's upside. But anyways, it's a really difficult matchup for a guy who is still very expensive. We'll get to that when we talk about Michael Thomas. Then you have Alvin Kamara, who I think is in a very nice spot. So those are your two clear stacking options. Jared Cook is overpriced, in my opinion. I think he's fine to punt at tight end. I don't really want any of Traquan Smith or Ted Ginn. We saw Ted Ginn catch a short touchdown last week. But as eight and a half point favorites, this just screams against one of the bottom ranked DVOA run defenses to just run the ball a lot more. And at Drew Brees at a $6,600 price tag, although he's throwing a lot this season, it's a difficult matchup in a spot where his weapons are over priced and I think a lot has to go right for them to deliver not only for them but a lot has to go wrong for everybody else on the slate so he's a secondary interest at best for me Baker Mayfield at 5,900. He probably leans more towards a no. He's more of a cash play against Miami for me. If you just want to find a cheaper guy below 6K, he's not a priority. In tournaments, I really struggle to get here because they're 11 point favorites. Uh, quarterbacks have done well against Miami this season, averaging over 22 fantasy points per game, but it's still a spot where they have two competent running backs now with Kareem Hunt back there. Obviously, Nick Chubb being the workhorse has had 47 carries over the last two weeks to Kareem Hunt's 10, the clear workhorse on the ground, although Hunt has caught 13 balls on 16 targets compared to uh, Nick Chubb's just 10 or two receptions on four targets. So obviously, they, they have their own roles there. But Maker Mayfield, you're probably going to get more Jarvis Landry on the outside. Not great for Jarvis because Kareem Hunt has been playing 24% of his snaps out of the slot. Landry has seen a season low 41.9% slot routes over the last two weeks because of Kareem Hunt being back. So that's not great. David Njoku might come back, which hurts Landry even more in the middle of the field. Might actually hurt Kareem Hunt a little bit. I do like Njoku. I do like Odell this week. So if you did want to play a tournament stack, which as an 11-point favorite doesn't seem like the greatest idea, but they do have a 27.75 team implied total, one of the highest ones on the slate tied with the Saints and right there with the Falcons. 
I do think if Njoku comes back, I like the Odell against Nick Needham, who was uh, not torched last week on 11 targets, five catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown for John Brown against Nick Needham, the fill-in cornerback for Xavier Howard, who has been good until that matchup last week, where honestly, five catches on 11 targets for 84 yards and a touchdown, it's not good. You, you'd rather him do better, but 11 targets in a game, at least he did not give up more than that, right? It was, it was, it was a middling outcome if he doesn't get in the end zone, Brown, so... I think that that's a nice matchup still for Odell. Odell and uh, Njoku would be the stack that I go to there if Njoku is healthy, but it's nowhere near a priority. These last two guys are just, one of them actually is a, a millimaker type stack that a lot of people will probably be down on, and I, I understand why, but there's a couple things to point out in it that makes it a nice spot. And then the other one is just Jeff Driscoll. So we'll start with Driscoll. 5,500 seems like a nice cash play, but even then he's a low priority. Uh, 88 rushing yards in the last two weeks. He gets Washington, who Josh Norman on the left side of the field will have to face Kenny Galladay, and that's a great spot for Kenny Galladay. Uh, in Josh Norman, 133 pass rating against the season, seven touchdowns allowed this season for Norman. That's not great. On the other, on the other side of the field though, you'll get Marvin Jones against Quinn Dunbar, who's been the exact opposite, a very good cornerback. So Marvin Jones upside is a little bit capped. It's really tough to want to get to Jeff Driscoll in a stack. You probably run him naked if anything, but even then the upside's not there. He's more of a cash play if you want to find a cheap quarterback. And I really don't even like him in cash. I just think he's better than these other guys down here, like the Mason Rudolphs. Um, of the world, the Ryan Tannehill's. I'm actually going to add one more quarterback as we do this on the fly. Uh, you can see on YouTube right there, Mitchell Trubisky at 5,100 against the Giants. Look, I don't love Mitch Trubisky. I have actually been on the record saying how bad he is this season in terms of throwing overthrows and stuff. But on a slate where there's not a lot of high total games, not a lot of competent quarterbacks starting for teams in at least decent price ranges, 5,100 for a guy with a 23 and a half team implied total usually is not a great total for a slate. But on this slate, that comes in tied as the fifth highest total or fourth highest total on the, or sixth highest, sorry, total on the slate. Terrible. He's a six and a half point favorite. So I imagine they lean on the run more, but the Giants still have Grant Haley in the slot. They still have DeAndre Baker on the outside. Both been terrible. Janoris Jenkins, go look at his numbers over the last four or five weeks. He's one of the best, only allowing a passer rating of seven seven. If you have a pass rating right now, Richard Sherman leads the league with around a 41 pass rating. Seven pass rating is what we discovered myself and Lofi. You can follow him on Twitter at Lofi underscore D on the awesome O YouTube channel earlier today on our show. Absolutely unreal. I knew he was doing good. I didn't know he was doing that great. But you get Trubisky here who, look, his weapons are going to have a nice time. Allen Robinson against Janoris Jenkins. Jenkins has been better, but Robinson will move into the slot a lot. Taylor Gabriel has been playing huge snaps and running huge routes. And now he gets one of the worst cornerbacks in the league, bottom five so far this season in yards allowed and receptions and pass running against in DeAndre Baker. And one of the worst slot cornerbacks in the league will go up against Anthony Miller. I don't think you see a ton of Anthony Miller this week since they are projected to be leading this game. But there is a sneaky stack option here in Millie Makers of a Allen Robinson, uh, Mitchell Robinson plus uh, Taylor Gabriel and or Anthony Miller. I don't love it. But again, if you're trying to win a Millie maker, it's one that kind of stands out to me as lower owned, cheaper and some upside to it because of the matchup. Giants rank 30th in coverage, um, 26th in pass rush or 28th in pass rush. So obviously bottom five in the league at generating pressure and covering receivers. So that's a little bit upside if you're looking for a decent stack. Nick Foles is the last stack here. No Malcolm Butler on IR. LaShawn Sims is filling in and we'll probably have to guard Chris Conley, who is going to be in a fantastic spot as a lower owned and lower price wide receiver. You get DJ Shark, still decent price, no ownership on him against Adore Jackson, who is the best current Titans cornerback and probably even with Malcolm Butler in the best cornerback at least on the outside with Logan Ryan in the slot. Look, I think it's a nice spot Who for a, a guy like Nick Foles. You get a nice receiver and obviously DJ Shark on the outside and Chris Conley. I think D.D. Westbrook in the slot is okay. You have a solid slot cornerback in Logan Ryan who's been targeted at a high volume this year. So the yardage numbers might look high, but he's just seeing a lot of targets against him. I think in general, you can get to Nick Foles stacks and feel okay. So that was a lot on the quarterback position. Let's get to running back where, honestly, there's not a ton of value. You've probably seen it maybe on some other shows this week. Not really a ton of value on the slate at all. Um, So with that being said, you're going to have just limited options across the board. I don't want to be jamming in dirt cheap or terrible value just for the sake of it. So getting to running back, McCaffrey, once again, he's lower owned. He's less than 10% owned. I'm going to have at least double that, maybe triple, maybe four times that. 
I get the fact that there's no standout value, but if you're somebody who looks at this stuff uh, sharply and you maybe follow my Patreon stuff where I'm going to be going over on Sunday, my final thoughts, there is value to be found in this slate. We'll discuss some of it here. We'll discuss some of it as the week goes on based on injuries, but value to be found, especially when you're uncapping a Christian McCaffrey, a 30 point really floor. Last week, his team scores 30 points. He has 30 plus points. He's averaging still 27 uh, overall touches per week. I get that the Saints defense is good. I get that he only scored seven and 21 points against the Tampa Bay defense. That was a lot better, in my opinion, than the Saints defense. Look, he's $10,500. And the fact that this guy is going to be single digits in ownership, I'm going to get to him. I think there's a lot of nice price mid-range running backs and maybe a lot's a, a steep word to say. I think there's two or three mid-range price running backs that you can get to instead of rostering McCaffrey, but I also think you can get to McCaffrey and one or two of those guys because there's value at wide receiver. There's some value at um, running back and then punting tight end seems like a play this week and there's a ton of value there if you do punt to the 3K range of tight end. So McCaffrey stands out as one of the best, um, just an overall projected running backs. I have him over five points more than the next closest running back on my board for projections. You can get those over on um, my Patreon, Alvin Kamara would be that next guy against Carolina. Again, really nice spot for Kamara. Look, I'm projecting this guy to see 14 rush attempts. And in his career, when he plays about 65% of the snaps, and this is the highest team total tied with um, right now, the Falcons on the slate and another team. He's tied with the Falcons and Cleveland on the slate against Miami. Highest team total, a guy that I'm going to project for 14 rush attempts and four to five receptions, four and a half, because when he plays 65% of the snaps, that's on average what he sees. And right there, you're getting 18 and a half about on average touches for Alvin Kamara in this game. So let's just say 18 to 20 on average. That's really nice. You can't pass that up at 8,200 in this smash spot of a matchup, in my opinion, or at least you can't overlook it. The ownership seems okay on him. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell has seen 67 touches total in the last three games. 67. I get that the snaps were down last week, but he still saw 20 touches after talking to his head coach and saying, hey, I want to touch the ball a little bit more than I have been. Again, these notes don't really matter here. Um, These have changed since my early look on Tuesday. Uh, So we'll close that to get some of these spreads up. But he said, hey, I want to play a little bit more. Now they're three-point underdogs against Oakland, who will give up points to the running back position. Really, in a game that is slow pace, it's not fantastic. But he's $6,400. Like, I think Le'Veon Bell is probably easily, at a minimum, four dollars to $500 underpriced. And probably you can argue with me on this slate, 1000 I'm happy that he's not because we're already lacking value. I do like him. Philip Lindsay at 5200 I'm surprised that he's going over overlooked. And I just think people aren't paying close enough attention. He saw 60-plus percent of the snaps last week. And before the game, his head coach and that week said, hey, I want him to touch the ball more. He's going to be our main running back. And for the first time all year, you got Royce Freeman, when healthy, playing uh, less than 40% of the snaps in a 30% range. So he outtouched him 18 to 9 last week. And now he's at a six-week low in price at 5,200 for Philip Lindsay. He's dirt cheap against a Buffalo team that struggles defending the run on the inside. He has a terrible team total because his quarterback's Brandon Allen at 16.75 team total. Game total's not great. The pace is slower in this one. He's a four-point underdog, but... Is a $5,200 running back on a slate where we're lacking value. He might be one of the best, if not the best value running back on the board, and he's in the 5K range. That's how bad the value is in this slate, in my opinion. So yeah, Philip Lindsay is a guy that I'm fine getting to. You probably get three to four receptions out of him on an average day here if he's going to see that many snaps. You probably get uh, around 15, 16 rush attempts out of him if he's going to see that many snaps. So you're telling me Philip Lindsay is going to touch the ball 18 times with a couple of receptions at 5,200 and no ownership, and there's upside for more now that his uh, quarterback or his, his coach wants to play him more? Yeah, I, I do like that upside there for sure. Now, those are my four yeses. You can see not a ton of interest overall. I got some maybes on this slate, though. Um, Zico Elliott, 7,500. I don't love it. He's a six-point underdog going into New England. His team only has a 20 implied team total. It's the fastest projected game on the slate, this Dallas and New England for me, the last game on the main slate at 4 o'clock in New England. 
it's scary. Like people think New England's run defense is good. They're not. They don't give up a lot of points to running backs because running backs so far this season are only averaging the second fewest 17.1 rush attempts per game because while their defense is scoring touchdowns, they're winning the turnover battle and they're leading teams by multiple scores, forcing your running back not to be in the game, right? No rush attempts. So they're not really great against the run. They just limit you from running the ball a lot on them, but they're ranked 29th according to pro football focus in run defense. So this New England scary secondary, which is elite and decent pass rush, which is good actually. Um, He's nowhere near as good against the run. So Zeke's is in play because he's cheap, but he's nowhere near a priority. He's probably towards the end of my secondary interest because he is a six-point underdog, although he will have a pass-catching role, maybe catch four or five passes here. It is scary to pay that tag for a guy who might be scripted out of this one, uh, at least on the ground. Nick Chubb at 8,100. I think the price point's a little steep here. Look, you're going to see no passing game roll from him anymore because of Kareem Hunt's emergence here. He'll still touch the ball on the ground. Again, 47 touches over the last two weeks, 11 red zone opportunities to Kareem Hunt's just one. I imagine Kareem Hunt is pretty much the James White of this offense. He's been in this slot on 11 out of his 45 routes run this this year out of the last two weeks for Kareem Hunt. That's 24%. Then out of the backfield on the others, he's playing on the field with Chubb on some of those because he's running out of the slot. But Chubb is still holding a 75-80% snap count over the last two weeks. Again, getting all the goal line touches and getting a lot of volume against the Miami team that struggles uh not really on a on a skill basis they actually can stop the run there's just overwhelming rush attempts against them that obviously some big runs are going to get broken 11 point favorite here with the highest team total on the slate tied with the Saints it's obviously a nice spot for Chubb but I prefer Kamara for a hundred dollars more and then I prefer some other guys for a little bit less than Chubb just at his price point of being a one-dimensional back. That said, though, I do like him. He's probably like my fifth or sixth running back interest this week. Leonard Fournette at 7,300, just way too cheap of a price point. I thought he was 7,900 earlier in the week. Look, a low team total. His offensive line has a terrible, a terrible, a minus 18% than average. It's not good uh, matchup against the defensive line of the Texans. So not great. Already a, a, ba- a bad offensive line with an adjusted line play of 379 one of the lower ones in the slate. Chubb faces the second highest eight-man boxes on the slate. So what you're going to get, or not Chubb, Fournette. So what you're going to get is, as usual, a lot of volume for Fournette, 20-plus touches. His head coach, after only giving him 15 touches last week, said we have to get him more touches. 15-plus touches, and this guy's been due for touchdown regression for eight weeks now. I keep saying it, but my God, he just doesn't get in the end zone. I believe only one on the season. He's 7,300. You're going to get a lot of volume. You're probably going to get a lot of inefficiency. It might be a very stereotypical 18 to 20 carry game for Chubb, or I keep saying Chubb, for Fournette for like 75 yards, but he catches four or five balls for like 20 or 30. And if he finds the end zone, he'll be great at this price point. So he's definitely in play because of the volume. David Montgomery is a six and a half point favorite against the Giants, who do have a better run defense than a pass uh, defense and secondary and even pass rush, but that's not saying much. It's still not great. David Montgomery is also still not great, but if as long as they're going to be leading in this game, you can imagine that Montgomery, who saw 70 plus percent of the snaps back to back weeks when his team was leading and not getting game scripted out. Uh, you can imagine that he probably sees 16 to 18 overall touches, maybe catches a ball or two. He's not great, but again, we're, we're starving for value on the slate. I much prefer Philip Lindsay, but then Montgomery is in question. These next two guys depend on each other. So Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders. Jordan Howard practiced in a limited capacity. If he plays, I have some interest in him at 4,800. Nowhere near as a lot, but he's a two-point favorite against Seattle. Seattle has a top 10 right now ranked ninth run defense. So I don't love it. But before Jordan Howard's injury, he was seeing the far majority of the touches, uh, averaging around 21 touches per game. And they said they wanted him to be the workhorse back and Sanders, a change of pace type of guy. So if indeed Howard is in, I'll go back to his potentially 16 at a minimum, probably closer to 18 to 20 touches at 4,800. Again, on a slate with no value. If Howard is out, then Miles Sanders is a great play at 5K relative to the slate as a favorite in this one. Once again, a two-point favorite against Seattle. And he ran 37 routes last week as a running back out of the backfield playing 85% of the snaps. Just wasn't utilized that great in terms of getting him the ball. Only four second half touches. So Sanders is a guy that I would get to if Howard is out only. 
James White, look, I'm like the 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 stereotypical or the the person who screams out James White is just a really overpriced slot wide receiver who sees passes at the line of scrimmage, and he is. But if there was ever a week for him to see those eight to ten receptions, which then if he has eight receptions for seventy yards, it's a good play, and if he gets in the end zone, it's a smash play. It would be this week. He, him, and Ben Watson should benefit the most from no Muhammad Sanu. Philip Dorsett still in the concussion protocol. Their wide receivers are probably going to be Nikhil Harry, who has only played one game because of injury. The rookie on the left side against Byron Jones, not a good matchup. They probably put Jacoby Myers in the slot if Dorsett misses, and push Julian Edelman to the outside, which is worse for Julian Edelman. Jacoby Myers in the slot against Jordan Lewis is a terrible matchup for. Jacoby Myers and Edelman on the outside against Awuzie, the Cowboys' second outside cornerback opposite Byron Jones, has been average at best this season. So really, a really good matchup for Edelman still. Just him being on the outside is nowhere near being as uh, in the slot, where it's a much more beneficial matchup for your catch percentage, your PPR, and your upside overall for a guy like Edelman. So you might get a lot more upside out of you should James White out of the backfield and Ben Watson. So White at 5300 is in play for me. Nobody else stands out. I can't imagine that people are still at 15% ownership project right now. People really want to play Brian Hill at an expensive, more expensive price point in a spot where, sure, he's still a favorite against the most daunting run defense in the league. Yeah, you guys are all donkeys. Once again, if you're going to roster Brian Hill this week, it's absolutely abysmal. I can't believe people were doing it last week at a 40% clip. Now people want to do it at almost a 20% clip once again. Crazy. I don't have much interest in Chris Carson at 6,700 against the Eagles. Run defense continues to be solid. He's an underdog here, um, and he's at high ownership. It's just not a spot that I really feel the need to get there for Chris Carson overall. These other guys really not standing out either. Kalen Balaj, no thank you. Uh, wide receiver. We'll go through wide receiver now. Uh, Julio Jones stands out as the highest home wide receiver and my favorite wide receiver on the board. Uh, I have him over Michael Thomas right now. Some other guys, he's only two projected points behind Michael Thomas for $1,300 less and similar ownership. Give me Julio Jones against Carlton Davis. I don't really have to stand say too much about it. He's the clear stacking option at 8K with Matt Ryan. If you can afford it, get to it. Mike Evans, Chris Goblin up next for Tampa. I already talked about them. Obviously, I have interest if I have interest in Jameis. Seems like every week I have interest in Jameis and these guys. It's crazy where their pricing is now. They were in the 6K range, both of them, for a time being. Now I get them both in the 7K range for a couple weeks. But again, they're both averaging over 20 points per week. On this slate, outside of Michael Thomas, nobody has more points per game than Mike Evans. Nobody has more points per game right after that than Chris Goblin. They're number two and number three on this slate in fantasy points per game, only behind Michael Thomas. They're absolute studs, and I'd be fine getting to both of them in a lineup in the fastest pace game on the slate. Odell against Nick Needham. Again, Needham gave up eight receptions for, or five receptions for 84 yards and a touchdown to John Brown last week. Odell has continued to be peppered with targets at 7K and right now middling to below average ownership. I'm fine with it. Allen Robinson against the Giants will be moved into the slot against Grant Haley some. Probably get a lot of Janoris Jenkins at 6,500. It's not a slam dunk play, but Mitch Trubisky. And honestly, I'd rather have Chase Daniels back there throwing to Robinson, who threw to him 16 times so far this year and 29 times dating back to last year. And still a spot where Robinson is in play. I really like Russell Gage. 90 routes run in the last three games since taking over for Sanu. 17 targets, 13 receptions. Obviously had the drop touchdown last week. But again, if he catches that touchdown last week, this week in the slot, he probably ends up seeing a $44 or $4,500, at least a $4,200 price tag. So you're getting a built-in price discount of $3,900 only because he drops a touchdown. Um, you can like He's not going to do that as an NFL wide receiver that often. Playing the Mohamed Sanu role at a discounted price point, he's only 6% owned as I'm seeing right now. I do like Russell Gage. Those are my yeses. They obviously all mainly stem from one game. Julio, Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, Odell, Al Robinson, Russell Gage. Now my maybes, it's a long list of them and I like a lot of them. Um, just not as much as those top tier guys as of right now. Again, shooting this at the end of the day on Thursday, Friday morning early. So Michael Thomas, here's the here's the spiel on Michael Thomas. Ready? You want to play him in cash? Okay, I think I think it's not worth it. You want to play him in tournaments? Okay, I think it's not worth it. Why is it not worth it? Well, he's $9,300 and Julio is $1,300 cheaper and I haven't projected very closely. But here's here's the main reason why. Ready? Michael Thomas 
is probably if he has a good week, I've been projected for around 25 and a half fantasy points. If And that's about what he's averaging on the year. It's just a coincidence that that was that. It's not always, that's not just the projection that he has all year. It's not my projections. It just happens to be 25.6 to be exact. So what you get out of Michael Thomas is, is <clears throat> clear my throat to make this statement, a guy who can score you 28 to 30 fantasy points and maybe on average scores around that 25 mark. Okay, well, there's about 20 other guys on this slate at wide receiver, if not more, that I think can score 20 to 25 to 30 fantasy points this week. And you might be saying, no, you're crazy, Sal. There's not 20 guys who can score 20 to 25 fantasy points. Yes, there is. Like just start going down the list at wide receiver. Obviously, all the guys above 7K can, and right there, there's like six or seven. There's a ton of guys in the 6K range that can score, uh, what is it, 120 yards and a touchdown on six receptions. That gives you the mid-20s in fantasy points with a bonus of 100 yards on DraftKings. There's guys in the 5K range that can do it. There's the Devontae Parkers that literally were doing it last week, right? Those types of players. So 20 to 25, that can do it. And they can do it with somewhat of ease. And for the people who want to make the argument, yeah, but he's just, a, he's the Christian McCaffrey of wide receiver. No, he's not. Because Christian McCaffrey's opportunity cost is nowhere near as much. There is a ton of running back by committees in this league. So what you get is really only viably every single week, like four, maybe five running backs that can score 30 plus fantasy points. That's it. And one of them is Christian McCaffrey. So even when McCaffrey if he goes off, you don't need as many things to go wrong for you. Only a couple of guys, two, three, most weeks can score his 30 plus points and match him or score close enough to make him not needed. Whereas Michael Thomas, like last week, a guy in the mid range at 6k, John Brown blows up and you don't need Michael Thomas because a guy like John Brown goes off and 10% of the field has him, right? Or, and there's going to be a lot more opportunities because there's not wide receivers by committee. There's guys who have one-on-one matchups and have to beat them. Not guys who are only seeing 50% of the snaps, like 70% of the running backs in this league right now, not seeing 70 plus percent of the snaps this season. So yeah, it's a spot where Michael Thomas, I can get a wide receiver for $2,000 less in Goblin or Evans or, or Julio or, or Odell Beckham in two, $2,000, $2,300 less, who in my opinion, ceiling-wise, Michael Thomas's ceiling is probably in this matchup against Bradbury, around 35 points. I mean, you could say 40 for the mega ceiling, but on average around 30, 35 points is upper percentile. I think that's the same exact type of ceiling that you get out of Julio, Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, Odell, those types of players for this slate. You could even argue with me, you saw last week Calvin Ridley outscore Michael Thomas, another guy like John Brown at a cheaper price point. DJ Shark outscore him. There's so many guys in the mid-tier range that it's not worth paying a 9K plus price tag for a wide receiver. It's just not, especially when you don't have value on the slate. I had none of him last week. I had none of, or, and I'm probably not going to have any of him this week. You might say that's a donkey move, but you have to take chances. You have to take risks. You really just can't play everybody. And when they're dirt, exp- or, or not dirt, but crazy expensive like last week. And once again, 9,300 is still very expensive relative to the other wide receivers and the slate. I probably don't get there. Tyler Lockett is still dealing with an injury, seems to be suiting up. We'll have a very good matchup in the slot against Avante Maddox. I think he's fine if you want to play him. He's just expensive. He's more expensive than really everybody except Julio Jones and Michael Thomas on this slate. I think it's probably close to being right. He should be somewhere around the price point of Evans and Goblin, which he is. So I think 72, 73 is probably a better tag on him. You might be overpaying for a guy who's coming off an injury and a slower pace game. Again, the third slowest pace game on the slate, but I think he's fine. Calvin Ridley, uh, his price tag is up. I prefer Julio for more expensive, and I prefer Russell Gage for a lot cheaper and lower ownership. But really, at 6,500, another really good matchup on the outside against Tampa. Kenny Galladay, I think he's a sneaky play, only 1% owned right now. Look, I don't trust Jeff Driscoll, but I think I trust him enough to get his wide receivers the ball. Uh, two weeks ago, he had a crazy touchdown catch for Kenny Galladay on a pushoff. Last week, Marvin Jones has two touchdowns. Jeff Driscoll keeps the drives alive with his legs. It's on a spot that I think is a smash spot. If I get 5% of him, 10% at most, I think it's an okay leverage spot. DJ Shark against Adore Jackson and LaShawn Sims on the outside, primarily probably Adore Jackson for 65 to 70 plus percent of that game. Another nice spot, especially since I mentioned some interest in stacking Nick Foles on a lower end here. Golden Tate, the only guy for the Giants that I want. Sterling Shepard likely to return, which hurts Darius Slayton's overall upside. Shepard on the outside still isn't a great play. If there's no Evan Ingram as it's trending that way, uh, Golden Tate once again in the middle of the field in the slot against Buster Streen is a good matchup. Screen has been good this year, but he's also faced Geronimo Allison, Trey Quinn, Denny Amendola. 
He's terrible. Austin Carr for the Saints. These terrible slot wide receivers. Golden Tate would be the best one he's faced so far this year. James Washington and or Deontay Johnson. It seems like Juju's going to miss. Deontay Johnson practiced at limited last night uh, or yesterday and practiced on Thursday and Wednesday. So keep an eye on this. I prefer Deontay Johnson if he starts, but they're both at 5,100 for Johnson, 5,000 for Washington or James Washington against the Bengals. Neither of them are priorities, but they're, they're appropriately priced guys in really good spots at wide receiver. Taylor Gabriel against DeAndre Baker for most of the game at 4,200. I think he's in a nice spot. I don't have Chris Conley on this list, but he's also 4,100 in a nice spot of his own on the outside as well against LaShawn Sims. Uh, Nikhil Harry, Isaiah McKenzie, and Tim Patrick are the below, uh, really the dirt cheap guys that I think have some upside. Nikhil Harry at 3,300. It's not great, but you would hope that uh, a nice offense and a nicely coached offense with Tom Brady at the helm can get him the ball with no Muhammad Sanu and probably no Philip Dorsett dealing with the concussion still. But that being said, you'll probably see a lot of Byron Jones, which is a brutal spot for a rookie. Isaiah McKenzie is not a high upside player, but he will not have to face Chris Harris Jr. as John Brown will. So he'll have a better matchup at 3,200, more of a millimaker maker type play. And Tim Patrick, $3,000 flat, caught four balls for 77 yards and no touchdowns on eight targets last week. Played 70 plus percent of the snaps. Now will not have to face Jadavius White as his counterpart second year um, pro at this point, sophomore campaign for Cortland Sutton will have to face Jadavius White. Flatman for Tim Patrick. It's a punt type of a play on a slate where we're lacking value. I think it's okay. Julian Edelman became a no for me because as of right now, if you get no Philip Dorsett, I won't have as much interest in Edelman. If And this seems odd, but if Philip Dorsett is in, I have more interest because then um, you'll have... Julian Edelman going to the outside more, which limits his upside at his price point, in my opinion. If Dorsett is in, Dorsett will be on the outside with Nikhil uh, Henry, and then you'll get, or Nikhil Harry, and then you'll get Edelman in the slot more, which is a tougher matchup against Jordan Lewis. So either way, I don't really have much interest at the price point, but it's better if he's in the slot, uh, leads the league in red zone targets at 18. Other guys that I'll break through, Amari Cooper against the second best only to Richard Sherman in terms of pass rating allowed this season is... Uh, Stephon Gilmore, I don't want that. DJ Moore against Marshawn Lattimore. If he returns, I don't really want all of that. Jarvis Landry, my concerns are that he'll play more on the outside like he has the last two weeks because of Kareem Hunt's emergence in the slot, as well as David Njoku's potential return. At a steep price point, I probably want 0% Landry, even though he's 10% on right now. Uh, DK Metcalf on the outside against a, a returned and rejuvenated Eagles secondary because of Jalen Mills. He'll face Mills. Uh, not a good spot. So Crowder, people want to keep telling me Crowder's fantastic. He's overpriced. He's at a career high price point ever on DraftKings, 6,200. His matchup is okay coming in the slot against LaMarcus Joyner. It's actually beneficial, but now he has to score touchdowns and he has the last three weeks. But if you want to bet me right now that Jamison Crowder will score a touchdown this week and every week for the remainder of the year, remainder of the year, then I'll take that bet. I'll put as much money as you want every single week for the rest of the year. If you want to bet that he'll score a touchdown, I, I've decided that says no, I'll make that bet right now. So one of these weeks, he's not going to do it. And if you're paying top dollar for Jamison Crowder's five catch, 45, 50 yard day with no touchdown, yeah, you're going to land flat on your face. So three straight weeks of the touchdown, it does not seem like he's going to continue this streak for the rest of the year. I'd say this week is the week that it probably ends. If for some reason Juju does play, I do have interest in Juju at $6,000 flat, but it seems like he's leaning towards not playing. No other interest. Tyrell Williams is going to have a nice matchup against Daryl Roberts, but he just does not get enough volume. He's a nice GPP dart throw. Curtis Samuel, I think, is a very bad fantasy receiver who sees three to four receptions a week, and if it's not a deep touchdown, similar to guys like um, Tyrell Williams, it's kind of uh, boom or bust, and he really does not have as much boom upside in this offense with Kyle Allen leading it this season. Darius Slayton loses a lot of volume because of Sterling Shepard's return, but he'll still have a nice matchup on the outside overall. Um, he won't get Prince Mukamaro, who will be on Sterling Shepard. He'll have a nice, a nice matchup as, as the secondary cornerback will be on him, but still not enough volume now for me. I don't want anything attached to Cincinnati's offense, even at a nice price point for Tyler Boyd. You're lucky. 3.8 yards per attempt for Ryan Finley last week is just atrocious. Robbie Anderson, not the week that I want to get to him. His offense, his role in this offense has really been hurt. You have Jamison Crowder emerging as Darnold's favorite target, as many slot receivers have for Darnold and Adam Gaze in both of their tenures. 
even dating back to college for Darnold, um, where he had Juju Smith-Schuster. But now you have... Um, you have a spot where Le'Veon Bell's reemergence in the offense. Ryan Griffin's been used heavily in this offense. And even Demarius Thomas has been used more than Robbie Anderson. So yeah, Anderson's overall upside, even as the price point stays in the 4K range, is not there for me. I think Devontae Parker is at least worth a mention. He'll see all the targets, but he got half of his yardage or about that on a route last week where Tredavious White fell, so it wasn't as good of a week as it actually seemed for him. His price point's up to 5,200 against Cleveland and Denzel Ward, who has not been great this year, but not a spot I feel the need to go out of my way to target. And that's really about it. I know you have all these Hunter Renfro, Danny Amendola, Cole Beasley type of slot receivers. If I had to pick one, it would be Hunter Renfro against the Jets. Actually, no, it wouldn't. And Brian Poole's been very good in the slot against the Jets. It would be none of these guys. Maybe Cole Beasley at 4,400. I just don't think there's enough upside. Corey Davis returning against A.J. Boye is not a great spot. Auden Tate track his status, but still not a good spot. Took a nasty, nasty hit. I think Chris Conley, who's somebody I mentioned, he's going to be a maybe for me in a really nice matchup against LaShawn Sims. I don't, I don't hate the Chris Conley, DJ Shark, Nick Foles stacks. But again, me saying that is not meaning it's a priority. It'd probably be coming as like a sixth or seventh on stack. So let's get the tight end, close this out. Tight end is gross this week. If you're still listening, hit the subscribe button. Really do appreciate it. We'll, we will be live on Sunday at 11 a.m. East Coast time for an hour taking your Q&A questions, any type of fantasy, uh, DFS-related, season-long, cash, tournaments, whatever it is. Uh, and also hit the five-star rate and review on the podcast. does help me out there as well. Follow me on Twitter at DFS and head over to Instagram and follow me there for exclusive content, leaks, and free content over there. Tight ends gross. You're either paying up for Zach Ertz, in my opinion, or maybe Darren Waller in a more difficult matchup against the Jets and Jamal Adams in the secondary, um, or you're just punting the position naturally. There's just no other tight ends. Evan Ingram's dealing with an injury. Not sure if he'll suit up. I currently have him as out, um, and Delaney Walker is scheduled to return, but even before he got hurt, uh, and these are just the injuries, even before he got hurt, he was being used, not being unused as much because John o. Smith and this team wants to run a lot. They've been going very much run heavy, and John o. Smith is the better run blocking tight end. So Zach Ertz at the top end, 6K. It's a steep price point to pay. He's by far the best tight end on the slate, in my opinion. Way more than Darren Waller. He'll just see more volume. He sees more errors per target. He has a nice red zone role. If you want to pay for him, I, I think you can. It's just a tough week for me to want to pay for him because I'm going to be paying up at other positions. So I'm probably punting tight end. So those options for me are Vance McDonald and Ben Watson stand out as the best punt tight ends. Vance McDonald is picking up ownership at 10%, but not a ton. It's nothing crazy. Uh, you're probably going to have no Connor. You're probably going to have no Juju. <clears throat> Deontay Johnson has been practicing limited to track his status, but the bigger news is no Connor, no Juju. Juju in the middle of the field and short part of the field. Connor in the middle of the field and the short part of the field. McDonald's going to have to pick up some of the work against a very bad, um, you have a very bad Cincinnati secondary. And I like Ben Watson a lot here. Look, again, no Mohamed Sanu, potentially and probably no Philip Dorsett. Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry, guys who are, I believe, both rookies, um, are going to be playing this <laughs> a lot of the snaps if you get no Dorsett. Edelman on the outside, James White out of the backfield, like we mentioned earlier, should have a bump up here. But then $3,100 Ben Watson, I think, is a nice punt option who actually has and has been consistent. Again, the fastest pace game on the slate with the 26 implied team total. I do like that. And then just a bunch of secondary options. Darren Waller, I think he sees an overall boost here. I don't think they run as much. And this should be another one we didn't talk about, Josh Jacobs. I don't think they run as much against the top 10 ranked Jets run defense. Uh, it's, it's just a really bad offensive line run advantage for Josh Jacobs in this team. So I think they pass a little bit more, which helps Darren Waller's upside. Maybe sees seven, eight targets in this one. His targets have come down as of late, and it's a tough matchup in the secondary. So the volume might balance itself out with the matchup. Not as interested in him as Zach Ertz if you're paying up. Ryan Griffin, a lot of people might like him. He's still coming in low owned. But look, I think he's in play because he's 4,200. But the price point's up. In a beneficial matchup against Oakland, slowest pace game on the slate, though, price point is up here. <clears throat> and the big concern for me in terms of this price point is, okay, well, the price point is up. But what's scary is, 
he had a very good game two touchdowns on four targets three weeks ago he had a five catch on five target touchdown game last week he's relying on very little uh, targets down the field too so it's not even like he's just catching him at the line of scrimmage and he has a crazy high catch percentage so I think those things start to go down for you and you don't get that much efficiency. And now he's at a top end price tag in terms of his season pricing. So I don't have as much interest in Ryan Griffin this week. I still think he's in play. Greg Olson against New Orleans. He's just kind of there at 4,100. He can go out there and get your 15 points. He can get you seven. He's just a punt tight end. In the 3K range, David Njoku, who he, David Njoku will become a yes for me. And I'll make him a yes right now, actually. If indeed he suits up, he's just a guy who will have no ownership. He's performing very well this season. They were utilizing him perfectly how you want a tight end to be utilized out of the slot, out wide, um, not really coming off, the, not really blocking all that much. And that's what you want. A tight end who's 3,500 acting as a slot wide receiver and a big red zone threat. If he suits up, I'll have a lot of interest in him at virtually no ownership. Mike Gusecki is another punt option, played a career high in snaps last week. Not a ton of interest overall in him. Um, really, I, I rank this right now for me. Zach Ertz, Vance McDonald, Ben Watson, and Njoku. Njoku probably leaps Ben Watson and maybe even Vance McDonald. We just don't know the health, so it makes it foggy to really trust it. The secondary punt tight ends, I would rank it. Darren Waller, Greg Olson, Ryan Griffin, and Mike Gusecki. So, that is it, gang. Be sure to check out Fantasy Draft. Again, linked up down below in this podcast and or YouTube channel. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Sal Vetri, for some stories where I'll release content for free over on Patreon. Only Instagram following will know about it here and there. And on Twitter, at Sal Vetri DFS. Hit the subscribe button before you go. I'll beg you one last time. Hit the five-star rate and leave a review. Say a couple of words, whatever you think is nice. If you have Fantasy Draft, you can leave your handle there for a chance to win a free ticket into their contest this upcoming weekend. And again, linked up down below are those social medias and my Patreon exclusive content. If you want to check that out, it is linked below. I put about 25 hours per week into NFL content over on Patreon and about every single day, I spend a couple hours doing NBA projections. So uh, it's probably somewhere around 35 hours a week put into Patreon as opposed to 10 to 15 of free content on YouTube. So if you like my stuff, if you think it's valuable to you or it is helping you, there's even more double to triple going out on Patreon every single week. In terms of the efforts I put in from both podcasts, live streams, um, game-by-game notes for some NBA stuff, um, game-by-game notes and projections for the NFL, uh, lots of other stuff. So be sure to check that out. Linked up down below. My name is Sal. You all friggin' rock. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your week, and I hope you have a great week 12. I will see you all on the live stream on Sunday morning, and I will see you all you Patreons tomorrow, live stream Saturday. Peace out, gang. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And before you go, if I can get you to subscribe and follow the podcast, download a few if you wish. But if you enjoy this podcast, if you could please subscribe, helps me out, helps support it. So thank you so much. And I will see you in the next one.